I started going to the vineyard in 2013. Right away when I started at Eastern, I came to a pulse here in August and I never stopped after that. I remember I was sitting in the back row, which was really back row because it was back when we were down the long corridor facing the other way. And just felt really personal and intentional and really deep. And there was a lot of extra time for like personal prayer. I started in a small group that was on campus, which made it really easy. And then I've been in small groups ever since then here at Vineyard. And then I started serving on the worship team in 2014. So pretty soon after attending, ever since I joined it in 2014, it's always felt like a family, onboarding people with lots of care and intentionality. And we try to hang out together and spend time together. We always pray together and share with each other what's going on in each other's lives. I think for me, worship is the main way that I have always felt connected to God and close, closest to God when I worship. Vineyard Richmond has always had a really established worship culture that I felt was really authentic and deep and intentional. And so of course I wanted to be a part of cultivating that for others. Most of the time we are singing directly to God as that communication and worship. Um, I like that the lights are dim, not in terms of like production, but when I'm in the congregation, it makes me feel like no one's really watching me and we can just worship and do what we need to do <laughs> during that time, whether it's sitting or crying or um, jumping around. When I'm picking a set and picking the songs, I'm considering practical things as well as spiritual things, which is a really hard thing to balance, honestly. But usually I'm praying while I'm picking songs of like, Lord, I don't really know what I'm doing, but please help these songs be what we need to hear, what we need to worship, what we need to sing on a Sunday two weeks from now when I don't know what's gonna be preached. Um, and I think he's been really faithful in that because there's been Sundays where Pastor Joe's message has perfectly aligned with one of the songs that we're doing and it's people, people have said like, wow, that was great that you guys did that so intentionally. I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> But really that's just God and he knows what's gonna be needed. I love that we got to shoot that video and share that testimony with you. It's just another way of, uh, of sharing with you that you know, you, it might feel like things are done really casually around here in a really relaxed manner and it's like, yeah, we're just kicking back and we're doing this thing, but everything is done with so much thought and so much intention and more than anything, like you just heard MJ said, it's, it's, or say, it's done with so much prayer. Um, I, I really don't like to do anything without praying about it. I don't like to dream without praying about it. I don't like to get people together and talk about what can change without praying about it. Um, so much so, I won't get up here with, without somebody stopping and praying for me from the prayer team. I mean, you don't know that that happens every morning, but it, every Sunday morning, one of the prayer team members comes and grabs me and says, hey, it's time to pray. Let's, let's do this thing. And, and I knew this morning it was getting a little long. It got to be about 9.15, and I'm like, hey, there's a lot going on, and I was getting a little nervous and I thought, you know, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, I'm going to go find the prayer team member instead of vice versa. And they were just waiting on me. They were keeping an eye on me and they were looking for a time when it appeared to some degree that I wasn't uh, engaged somewhere and grabbed a hold of me. And, and I, and just for a, a, a thought before they did, it was like I was thinking, 
It's almost time to get in front of people and nobody has laid hands on me and prayed for me. What am I going to do? And it's like, I'm going to go find somebody to lay hands on me and pray for me because I do believe, I believe in prayer that much. I believe that it moves the heart of God. I believe that it changes the heart of God. You say, well, how can it change the heart of God? In the story of Noah, Noah, excuse me, Jonah, Jonah was worried that God would relent and change his mind and not destroy Nineveh. And that's exactly what happened. So I know that prayer moves the heart of God. And uh, as MJ was saying, she gets together, she gets the sets weeks ahead of time, doesn't have a clue what the sermon's going to be about, and just says, God, will you please glorify yourself? And over and over and over again, we see that God says, hey, that's, that's, that works perfectly together. On occasion, she gives me opportunity to say, hey, can we change that up? And uh, with all due respect, this is one of those weekends where all we did was flip an order of song. I just want to go into this message today, and you might call this part two of last week's message, but I I want us to go in there with the thought, with the idea, how good is God? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I would, I would hope and pray, and those of you that that know me know that, you know, God would move if, if, if it happened, but I would hope and pray that I could put a microphone right here and at the end of an hour and a half, we would just have to shut it down. I would hope and pray that you and I could talk about how good is God in our lives so long that we would have to shut it down. I hope that we could, but that's not always the case. But the, the, I guess the thing that, that, that is drawing my heart is the idea that is God good when life is going crash for you? Is God good when things aren't going the way you want them to? Is God good when you're struggling? Is God good when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Is God good when one of your children runs off the deep end? Is God good when life around you absolutely crashes? Only God good when he gives you what you want. Because I contend that God is good. And I'll be honest with you. When I'm buying tires because I'm running over nails and when things are going crash and when things aren't working the way I think that they should and when I'm saying, God, where are you? I choose to believe and to say to myself out loud, God is good and God is working on your behalf and you have learned in 62 years of breathing to trust him. He's brought you to this spot because God is good. And he will continue to move you into what he has if you will get off the throne of your own life and give him control. He will do it. I want to take you to the um, 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 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where I'm going to go. I'm going to stay way close to my notes. You know I like to move around and get wound up and get excited. But I'm going to stay a little bit close to my notes because I just feel very specific about today's sermon and I want to make sure I get what I prayed over right to you. So here we go. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and we talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we never stopped to consider the idea that some gifts are better than other gifts. Some gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually better than other gifts of the Holy Spirit. You say, now wait a minute, that does not sound very scriptural or very spiritual right now. And I believe, believe it or not, that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God is trying, Paul, excuse me, Paul is trying to address that. You and I live in a world of comparison. And in that comparison, we find value. 
We're always doing it. We're always saying, how am I in relationship to this? How am I? Am I better? Am I not as good? Are they better? Are they not as good? Can I? Should I? Would I? Um, it, we compare. It's the world that you and I live in. And, and part of that deal is because um, it's not so much that we always value this, but we want to be valued as human beings. Inside of us is this desire to be valued, but we live in a celebrity culture. Movies, music, styles, everybody wants everybody to notice them. And I'm not saying it's wrong until you become the absolute focus of your whole life. It's been infecting the church as well. And I see it a lot in the understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit being a message of wisdom, message of knowledge, faith, healings, miraculous works or administration, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. We kind of talked about that a little bit without getting into every single one of them last week. But uh, we, we see right here that uh, as the church operates inside of these even the church values some of these above others and that shouldn't be the case but there's a place where God says that at least one or two or three of those are the best and we need to be aware of that we live in a world where the church says which one makes us more famous which one makes people take notice of, of us which one allows us to be the people that everybody should see or to know or that you would let us belong into your life because we're so amazing and it's so awesome and that's not the way it's supposed to be necessarily, even when we consider that at least one of these gifts is the best. Because isn't belonging or being special at the very root of our need as a human being that we hope that God will accept us? We hope that our friends will invite us. We hope that we can join. We hope that we're good enough. We hope that, and I'm not saying that that is a sinful thing. You were designed to be in a community to operate in a community, to be a part of a group, to be a part of a, for us as Christians, a part of a church. We are, are, we are called by God to be in, an, a, in a group of people together where we have the, um, the permission to encourage and inspire one another to greatness and call each other out because of our sin. And yet we live in a place where it's like, keep encouraging me, but don't ever call me out. And we've got to get to the place where it's both so that we can be healthy and we can be aware of that. But we're talking about gifts of the Spirit. Paul goes on and he prioritizes the gifts, but he probably prioritizes those gifts differently than you and I do. And so now I actually want to read that from the 12th chapter of um, the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to start at verse 27. After Paul goes down through and talks about the gifts, and then he goes down through and talks about the parts of the body, the fact that you were created to be a part of a body, you were not created to be a lone ranger, can't cut your finger off and throw it to the side and expect it to sprout and grow a body. It won't happen. It stays connected to the body, it lives, it gets cut off from the body, it dies. Same is true of people, I believe. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret those are all rhetorical questions, and the answer is no. Okay? But then Paul says this. But eagerly desire, 
There it is. Here comes the valuation, the prioritization. Here comes Paul laying it together. But eagerly desire the greatest of these gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gift. Eagerly desire these gifts that I'm about to talk to you about. We've talked and we see and we get mocked or we mock whatever it is, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it comes down to this place where Paul says, now listen, there's all of these gifts, but I need you to focus. If you're going to focus on a gift, I need you to focus on this. And here's the deal. Remember, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth to answer questions that we don't have. All we have is the answer, and we're trying to build the questions as we dig into our understanding of the language and the circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. He's talking about the gifts still. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest gift is love. It would appear from reading scriptures, from talking with people, that speaking in tongues is a very, very common gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not one that I've been given by the Lord, but um, I'm not somebody who's um, like, I believe it still happens, okay? I don't believe it's something that you can be taught. I think that is the definition and the flag that should go up in your head. Whoa, 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 whoa. There is no place in the scripture ever where it says, and they went about teaching people the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to manifest them. It says the Holy Spirit did it. And that's what I'm waiting on. That's what I'm hungry for. That's what I'm chasing into. And that's, that's what we need to be aware of. It also would appear that there are those that think if you don't speak in tongues, you really do not have the Holy Spirit. And that goes 100% against Ephesians chapter 1 that says in the moment that you believe, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. You and I got baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, they came across some people and they said, well, whose baptism have you been baptized with? And they said, well, John's baptism. And they said, well, then have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And so they baptized them in the Holy Spirit. We don't need to do that anymore, ladies and gentlemen, because you got baptized when you got baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When those people got baptized by John, the Holy Spirit was not there to infill them because Jesus Christ had not left the earth. He said, when I leave, then your comforter will come and fill you up. So it makes perfectly good sense that in Acts chapter 19, I believe it's 19, where they said, hey, we got baptized with John's baptism. And John's baptism was not a baptism of infilling. It was a baptism of coming away from sin. When we say we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us up. Now, the question is, and this is what I talked to you about last week, okay? It's our word for 2023. I'm going to pound this word to death. You're going to hate it by the time we get to Christmas, okay? Because I'm going to ask you if you're available for Christmas. But anyway, are you available to the Holy Spirit? Are you available for him to overwhelm you with a gift of tongues? Are you um, available for him to give you a word of knowledge? Are you oh, available for him to give you the, the, the interpretation of tongues? Are you available for him to give you a prophetic word or for you to receive a prophetic word? Are you available to God or are you telling God what he can and can't do? 
At the point that you begin to determine what is and isn't God and what God can and can't do, you just became God. We need to back up. And we need to let the Holy Spirit be God. The ball is clear in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, that we have all received that Holy Spirit. Then we also need to recognize how do we let him use us and how do we let him infill us over and over again. As I interact with charismatic and spirit-filled people myself, I enjoy the conversation and we wrestle back and forth because at the same time, we're at a place where it's a matter of semantics because we say, God, come, Holy Spirit, come. The scripture is super clear. He's already here. But we don't know how else to say we want to be yielded to you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. But the point is, we're trying to yield ourselves because he's already here. When we say, I hope the Lord shows up in worship today, the Lord got here before you did. Because the staff was here and where two or three are gathered together to, to proclaim and to glorify and to pronounce the, the, the name of God Almighty, there I am in the midst of them. He's been here waiting on you. But we say, come God, because we don't know what other words to use or language to use or how to say it. And I, it's entirely appropriate for us to do that. But I was looking at this and wrestling with this and wanting to share this message with you. Over and over in the Bible, we see that love is a verb, love is an action. It's a manner in which we act, operate on somebody else's behalf. That's what love is. Love isn't a feeling, okay? I love my wife, okay? That's not a like, I have ooey-gooey feelings for her, okay? That means I go to work every day and I try to provide for her. I try to do the things I'm supposed to. I try to fix the light plate. I, try, I think they're all fixed in my house at this point. I try to make sure the dogs are cared for. I try to do the things that I would do to take care of her. See, I'm loving her. I'm acting on her behalf. We drive through the neighborhood. She says, what about that house? I said, I hate the house. She said, no, well, let's go look at that house. And then one of my children calls and says, Jesus might want you to have that house. And so then we have to go in and it's like, fine, Lord. I really wanted more land and less house. Instead, I got more house and less land and no kids to take up the space. Why do I need? It's like, it doesn't matter. I do this to show her I love her. I, not, not affection, not that's, okay, that's lust, that's adoration, that's all the other things that are healthy inside of a marital relationship, okay? This one is love. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave. It's an action. And here's the deal. Paul says the greatest gift is love. How come nobody's jumping up and down and screaming and hollering that they, oh, could you just pray for me that I love more? No, no. Pray for me that I receive the gift of the Spirit. Okay, how about love? No, no, not that one. Not that one. Give me a different one. Give me a different one. Give me a, a you know, a, a more what we would call supernatural one. Okay, go ahead. Pray. God, fill him with love. No, 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 no. Not that one. You know what? There's probably not a greater gift from the Holy Spirit needed inside of our culture and on our social media right now than the gift of love. Because we can't even agree to disagree about anything. Even as Christian people, it would appear on social media. We should be crying on our hands and knees that God teach me to love because I'm failing at it. Not to feel good for another person, but to act to the good on their behalf. And I still say that the, the most difficult, when Paul says that love is the greatest gift, then my head is ringing with the words of Jesus that we should love our enemy. I will stand right here and tell you that that is probably the most difficult teaching of Jesus Christ. 
because it will take you from your neighbor to your coworker, to your teacher, to your professor, to your boss, to all, all the way up to national crisis, all the way back down to your neighborhood is love your enemy, and now you have to decide who and how. And sometimes it's easy because it's way over there. But sometimes it's like right here and it's like, I just don't, I'm not feeling it. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies if you feel like it. He said, love your enemies. And then Paul tells us through the power of the Holy Spirit that love is the greatest gift and that we should be seeking that faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. These are the gifts that we should be chasing after. I have yet to see, I've never yet to see somebody say, hey, why don't you come to this conference on love? Now, as I was saying that, I'm very aware of the power, um, the power love conferences that I've had opportunity to attend or visit or, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that. But here's the deal. You show up at that conference and you walk in and all of a sudden it goes from love to boom. Let's talk about the sensational gifts of the Holy Spirit, of healing, speaking in tongues, prophecy. Let's talk about all these. It never gets back to how do I love my enemy? It never gets back to how do I love my spouse in a difficult marriage. It never gets back to how do I love wayward children, children that have gone off the deep end, children that are, are way outside of the kingdom of God, way outside of the kingdom of God, way outside. The conference never goes to how do I love people. It's how do I do this so that I can proclaim the love of God that's well and good, there is proclaiming the love of God, and that is important. But Jesus said you need to love people. Whether they surrender their lives to God or not is not relevant. God wants that to happen. But it does not mean that I don't have to love them if they don't come to Jesus. I need to love them so that when they see our good works, they glorify our Father in heaven and begin to ask us, what manner of love is this that you would treat each other and even your enemies that way? And how do I get some of this? Because it's what our world needs. We assume love, but the truth of the matter is I think that doesn't always make us feel special enough. So we want something a little more, a little more celebrity. Paul tells us that the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit of God Almighty is love. Love is that greatest gift. And I believe if we play this out for a sermon this morning, it will be like this. First, it starts with our love for God. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you've said Jesus is Lord. I'm not asking if you've walked down to the creek and got splashed around in it. I'm talking about the transformation that we were singing about before I got up here. The idea that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and wrecks it and changes it and you become a different person to where Paul says the old is gone, the new has come. Because I see a lot of Christian people okay, that will, will say, the words but they won't live the life they will say the i have met so many people i mean dying in sin as a christian and as a pastor excuse me for the last 30 years that will say to me but it's okay i got saved when i was seven they'll say that i've sat with bikers i've sat with addicts i've sat with with womanizers, people who have learned to objectify people and use them, I have sat with them and talked to them and said, let's talk about Jesus. And they've said, I got that part cared for. I got saved when I was 11. 
We're talking about a relationship, not a ticket out of hell. Salvation is supposed to be a transformation. And that's what leads us into this whole love thing. We love God so much, he transforms our lives and we surrender our life to him and we get up from being on our knees or from being in a posture that is humbled before God and we say to God, what do you want from me now? What part do you want me to play? And when he says, I want you to love your enemies, we don't say, no, anything except that. And we'll get to a great example of that. Overly powerful, probably not one I ever get to use personally in my life, but it doesn't mean I don't get called out to what's uncomfortable. Even when I feel like, but I'm right, Lord. But I'm right. How do you look at your love for God, your relationship to God, is directly reflected in the investment that you make on a regular basis. Want me to say that again? Your relationship to God is directly reflected in the investment that you make on a regular basis. Now, I don't see anything that says Paul and John went up on a mountain, opened up their Bible, sat down, had four hours of prayer time before lunch and all like that. Jesus constantly met with his dad in the morning, as was his custom, before he started his day. But they didn't have a Bible to carry around. So they went up and they meditated on something. They went up and recounted Scripture into their hearts that they knew already, whatever it was, but they were investing through praying. But what about you and I? Daily Bible reading? Memorization, you ever stopped and memorized some scriptures and, and like sewed them into your heart so they were there when you needed them? What about um, obeying? What about obeying? The scripture says this and you think, wow, I've never done that. I probably should do that. Okay, what about giving? What about sharing with people around you? What about when God says things like, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Um, to each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I like the way I memorized it in Bible college. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. I, I love that. I think that's King James. Sufficient to the day is the evil. It sounds really super spiritual too, doesn't it? It's like um, each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, good, good. Okay, but sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Now that sounds like something's about to happen in here. You know, he just called down something. Listen, it's the truth. It's the truth. When I start worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and God is saying, whoa, 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 I can't even get you to move forward in today. Don't start worrying about tomorrow. Let's just work on walking with me, as Paul would say, keeping in step with the Spirit today. Let's do this and let's let tomorrow come to us when it's tomorrow and it will be okay. We can do that. God says things like, you will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. So seek first his kingdom. That's, that's the invitation from God. Seek first the kingdom of God in your relationships to one another. Seek first the kingdom of God in dating one another. Seek first the kingdom of God in marrying one another. Seek first the kingdom of God in working alongside one another. Seek first the kingdom of God in raising one another. Seek first the kingdom of God in buying and selling to one another. In everything you do, seek first the kingdom of God. How does Jesus go about doing this? It doesn't have to be a big, long theological discussion with the lady at the Walmart checkout. I'm trying to give her money. How would Jesus give her money? Hold on, ma'am. i got to make a phone call to the pastor and see how would Jesus hand my money across here because I need to seek first the kingdom. Just give her the money. 
Okay? How would Jesus do that? Hey, bless you. Thank you. It's been good talking with you. You're on your way. <clears throat> In the book of Proverbs, the writer of the book of Proverbs says, trust, no, hold on, let me, let, me, let me grab Jeremiah first. Let me grab Jeremiah first. You will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. A lot of people want to talk about, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, but they kind of skip over the part that says, you will seek for me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. Is that a manner in which you chase after God? I need to seek for God with all my heart. Now let me go to Proverbs. Trust in the Lord, here it comes again, with all of your heart. Not some of your heart, not pieces of your heart, not just your romantic part of your heart, not just your happy part, not the part that feels comfortable right now seeking with you. But give your whole heart to God and don't lean on your own understanding. When you start going, well, God would never, you're leaning on your own understanding. You have never seen the face of God. He has never walked into your living room that I'm aware of that you have testified to me about, sat down in the big easy chair and simply said, now let's talk. I promise you, I have cried and screamed at God for not doing that in my life. And he made it perfectly clear to me at one time that I would fall over dead if he did, and so he's not going to. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Okay? But that's the point. What does it mean for us to give him our whole heart? But he invites you and I to come to the throne with our hearts in our hands. This is how we love him as a gift to the mission of the kingdom of God. How are you investing your love to God in the kingdom? All right, a lot of people think that being a Christian is about jumping up, saying Jesus is Lord, and jumping into creek water. But it was Jesus that said, not Joe that said, it was Jesus that said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only, only he who does the will. So there is a... Knowing and doing that cannot be separated from one another, and that's the transformation. I believe that you are saved by grace and grace alone, but if it does not transform you, then I'm challenging what you just said about surrendering your life to Jesus. See, because Jesus said, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven does. That's an action word. You can't get around that. It's right there. When I feel like things are going to crash, I ask myself, am I living out the teachings of Jesus or am I grieving him and he's trying to you know, swap my behind a little bit? Am I walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit today? Is that why the devil's having his way with me? Okay, number two, love for your spouse. You have the opportunity, here I said it, you have the opportunity to have the greatest marriage ever. You do. Every one of us that chooses to get married has the opportunity to have the greatest marriage ever. We just have to get out of our way. We do. I know it takes two. I believe that. I have to preach generally. I can't speak specifically. I'm just telling you, generally, if you will get out of your way, get off the throne of the marriage, let God sit on the throne and you serve one another, you might be surprised. Not serve one another like, well, I want a Chick-fil-A, and your spouse is saying, well, I want Taco Bell, and you're like, Taco Bell's not even God chicken. This is at least God chicken, and your spouse says, but they're not open on Sunday, and Taco Bell is. Okay, there is a place there where you give and take, but when you sit on the throne, and it's my way or the highway, mm, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'd like to be there sometimes. I'd like to put my foot down and say, we're getting another dog. Okay, but I also like living inside the house. All right? 
And she's assured me I would never live outside the house, regardless. But I'm just saying. As much as I say, no, we're not going to do that. And the next thing that happens, she says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to do that. I, I promised your dad I would adore you. And this is going to be... It's going to be ticking that one off. Okay, I adored my wife today. Okay, I believe that. Because I have the opportunity to have the greatest marriage ever. But it's in serving and giving, not taking and having. It's not in objectifying her. It's in loving her. And remember, love isn't the adoration word. That's adoration. Love is serving. It's doing for her. And so I have the opportunity to have the greatest marriage ever. Paul told the church in Ephesus, submit to one another. To submit to one another. For God so loved the world that he gave, there's that. So I want to ask, how are you giving and serving your spouse? I'm an egalitarian. I don't want you to think it's an eagle who's a librarian. That's not what that means. Okay? I just believe that my wife and I are absolute equals. I believe that Jesus paid the price for the sin that subjected women, that put them in subjugation to men. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that on the cross he died and he said, it is finished. I believe that God took Adam and Eve aside and said, as a result of your sin, because you did this thing, your desire is going to be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. I believe that. And then I believe Jesus said it is finished. And I believe that the intention of God was that Adam and Eve would, would in fact be equals. The word used for helpmate in the book of Genesis is the same one used in the book of Psalms concerning the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not subjected to us. He is God. And so they work together alongside of each other. Egalitarian, relating to or believing in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. The same Holy Spirit lives inside of you that lives inside of me, then it's not your biology that should be separating us from what's going on. I do not believe that and will not operate that way, okay? So I ask you, what kind of a marriage do you want? What are you thinking? And in that, when you think about the goals for your marriage, how are you leading toward that end? In maturity or in immaturity? Hey, it's what's best for us. Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's head that direction. Or because I said so. Maturity, immaturity. Immaturity doesn't have conversation. It just makes a lot of dictation. Maturity sits down and says because and explains and walks into. Love will build the marriage that you are hungry for when obeying God is the focus that you have in your marriage. Let me say it again. Love will build the marriage that you're hungry for when obeying God is your focus for your marriage. When he gets to be the center of your time and purpose together, you will be surprised what your marriage looks like. Last thing I want to share with you is this. Love for your community. The greatest gift that you and I have from the Holy Spirit is love. And the third one I want to share with you is the love for your community. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Her brother Lazarus had died. And she said to the, the Lord, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That's an accusation. Okay? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in the spirit. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. And I love this. 
Verse 35, and Jesus wept. Jesus loved the community of people in their everyday life. When you're at work, when you're in conversations, when you're struggling, when you're winning, when you feel like you're on top of the world, when you're out there in the community, Jesus cares. He doesn't just care about spiritual things in your life like giving and serving and praying and fasting. He cares about your everyday walk in the Lord, and he is there, and he wept for these people. And I love that the Jews there that maybe wouldn't even surrender their lives to him said, oh, look how much he loved them. That's how much Jesus loves you. Jesus cries for his people that he's looking at, and he's standing with them, and he's hurting with them. And in Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Over and over and over again, we see that Jesus' love compelled him to do something for people, and it compels you and I to act to step out in faith, not for ourselves, but for those around us. That's what Khakis for Kirksville is all about. That's why we have a, a food pantry. That's why we are looking always for new opportunities to reach out into the world and say, God, how can we touch the life of somebody else? And you know what? Rich people are going to hell just as fast as poor people. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. All right, they are. They need Jesus too. But I'm just saying we direct our resources into an area that can make a big difference and share with people that we absolutely love them. We give out of love, we serve out of love, we speak out of love, and love needs to compel us. Let me say this. If love doesn't compel us, we should be scared, concerned, or maybe even terrified a little bit. If the love of God in Jesus Christ does not compel us to give, serve, pray, fast, love, whatever it might be that you see the need, if it does not compel us to take a step into obedience with God, we need to start being concerned. Because if Christ lives inside of us, that would be going on. And if it's not, we need to back up a little bit. We should be making friends, making disciples, and making a difference. And we see that love is the greatest gift of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit has to offer us. It will change our lives and make things new. Let me share that scripture with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we don't regard anybody from a worldly point of view. Stop judging people. It's okay. God will take care of it. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so, okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, not rock throwing. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, of inviting people into a relationship with the God that we love. One of the greatest examples that I've ever seen of this, I'll wrap this up, because sometimes it's hard, is a woman named Corey Ten Boom that most of you probably have never heard of and, and maybe never would unless you Google it and deal with it right now. Corey Ten Boom was a, was a young lady with her mom and her sisters that got caught up in the concentration camps in World War II over in Germany. And she was in Ravensbrück, um, um, concentration camp, and while she was there, was treated horribly, awful, everything that you've ever read about or heard about those situations. 
In the course of events, her mom and her sisters, both of her sisters, um, I believe they all, except her, died in that concentration camp. And Corrie Ten Boom hung on to her relationship to God, cried out to God, hungered for God. She got out of the, the concentration camp. War ended in 1945. And in 1947, she was teaching in Germany about the forgiveness of God. And when she got done telling everybody that the love of God forgives people, she invited people to be prayed over, but it, as she says, as was always the case, when she talked about the need to, for radical forgiveness, it got deathly quiet. And when she dismissed the congregation with a the prayer, they headed out the back door. They didn't have a ministry time. But she noticed as they were headed out the back door that there was a man making his way through the crowd. And she recognized him from about halfway to the podium. That was the guard that used to beat them. That was the guard that abused them. That was the guard that had something to do with killing them. And he was on his way up to the front and he came forward and he said, I am so glad to hear you talk about the forgiveness of God because I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I have experienced his forgiveness. But you said that you were at Ravensbrook and you may not know who I am, but I also was at Ravensbrook and she knew exactly who he was and he was standing right in front of her and she was having a PTSD moment. And she said, I was saying, oh God, oh God. And he said, I've been forgiven by God, but I need to be forgiven by you. And he put out his hand and said, will you please tell me that you forgive me? And she said, I wrestled for about a half an hour in that second with God. And I said, God, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. And she finally, just in a split second, came to the conclusion that maybe God could forgive him through her. And so she put out her hand and she shook his hand and said, I forgive you. Now we know what forgiveness looks like. If we didn't with Jesus, we can see this practical picture of Corey Ten Boom in the midst of probably the most popular war in the world history of the world and yet at the same time with such horrific manners that people were were treated and this person found forgiveness and she had the courage to say God I don't think I can do it you're going to need to do it through me and forgave that man and he walked away that's the picture of the love of God that is a practical picture of the love of God that's not Corey Ten Boom saying, I have the right like Joe Woodward. That's like her saying, I don't have to hold the key to your cell any longer. I can give it to God. And I can forgive you and he can be the one that interacts with you. I can let God do a work inside of me and free me from the anger and the hate and the bitterness that I have to find energy to maintain when I can't forgive people. I want to encourage you that the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit that you could ever ask for is love. And only you know where it's needed most. But I would encourage you in that. As we come to the end of this, our time right here together, I just want to encourage you. These people are up here because they want to pray for you. I want them to pray for you that you receive an outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
If that's you, then I pray. I don't care if it's speaking in tongues. I don't care if it's miraculous healings. I don't care if the Lord, I don't care what gift the Holy Spirit gives you. It's for the whole common body. But I also want to encourage you to ask the Lord for more of the gift of love because it is a gift that we desperately need in our world today. The ability to judge people at the drop of a hat is growing exponentially. And it's not conducive with first century Christianity. And we've got to find a way to push it out. So let's come to our feet. We're going to have a closing prayer. We're going to go into this song. And I want you to know that you can avail yourself if you're carrying, if you're hurting, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to ask, it's okay. We can still pray. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the idea of forgiveness. We thank you for hope. We thank you for love, God. We thank you for the gift of love. And I just ask your, your forgiveness, Holy Spirit, that that's never been the specific gift, Lord, that I have cried out for. And I believe it's the one that we need. And so I'm crying out for it today. That it changes my life, me, God, to be what you need me to be in Central Kentucky and not the person that, that I am or even that I want to be person that you need me to be and so I just I just ask if it's removing me from this planet remove me but if we're going to go forward then let me cry out like Moses I'm not going to do it without you so if you want me to go forward this is what I'm asking your love to act on your behalf in this world in this place in this time your power to do the things that bring healing and love and your presence, invite your presence into other people's lives. I'm not going forward without you. So we're asking that you come right here in this place right now. God, as these people come forward, I just pray that you would just overwhelm them with your presence today in Jesus' name.